It was so good, everybody was, was flipping through their iPods, going to the iTunes store, trying to, what is that song? I want to download this one. Try to get that one. <laughs> well, good morning. It's good to see everyone. A little bit light today. I was getting spoiled having you know, 80, 90 people at church every day. That was fantastic. It was a great run, but, you know, it's, it's, we're heading into the holiday season, and you know, people are out and about all over the place. We got people in Gatlinburg, and we got them here, there, and all over the place. And, you know, we just pray that they'll be safe in their journeys and that they've had a, had a wonderful time. And, uh, you know, t- too bad they weren't at home yesterday like I was watching the, the game, as, as, you know, most of you, uh, you know, you know, all the Ohio State fans, uh, it was a wonderful day. You know, I, I couldn't help but... You know, I would, was on my Twitter thing trying to troll Seth Ross. If you remember Seth, he's <laughs> Seth's, a, Seth's a Michigan man, and he he loves that stuff. And so, but you know, there'll be a support group for all you Michigan fans out by the the dumpster there after church. So, <laughs> if you want to visit or wherever the dumpster went. <laughs> When I was in college, I had a, I took a class in, uh, this is way back when, it was, uh, I had to get an elective, I was a social studies major, so we had to do something social studies related, and religion was always, I was always interested in that, and especially from, you know, the perspective of the Church of God, which was a little bit different than, than other uh, types of mainline Protestant Christianity. So I, I had this opportunity to take this Old Testament class taught by a real-life Jewish professor. And from somebody from Champaign County, yeah, I'd never met a, a Jewish man or woman that, that I knew of. And so I can remember being about 19 years old, thinking, I'm, I got a class with a real Jewish guy. And like that was some big deal or something. And and I'll never forget when I, the first day I sat there in class and he come walking in and this guy, I mean, he, he must have came right out of the temple or something because he was, he had his, the, the, the beanie hat, yeah, yarmulke, yeah, they had the whole thing and he come in, he had a real thick accent and he would kind of talk, kind of talk like, like this. And I was like, I don't know where this guy's from, but... It, I like him. You know, this is really cool. You know, this is different than any kind of class I've ever had. And he goes, I want you to all study very hard. Because when you all get A's, that's when the Messiah will come. And everybody was sitting there like, wow, this is cool. And I've never forgot that. I mean, if that's what's holding, uh, you know, the Messiah from his second return, you know, I think we'll be waiting a while. I've, I've uh, you know, I've seen the next generation of students. And, uh, yeah, so, but anyways, now it was interesting because he was, you know, a, a Jewish man, uh, very learned in, in the Jewish traditions, and, and I remember having a dis- discussion about the idea of the Messiah, and of course, Jews don't believe that Jesus was the Messiah, okay, he was somebody who came along and did some different things, and he may have even been, been a nice guy and a good teacher, but he's not the Messiah. The, the Messiah that the Bible speaks of, he has not yet shown up. He is still to come. He's not made his way through in, with mortal man yet. 
And so the Jews still wait for their Messiah to come. And I think about that as we get into the, uh, believe it or not, the Christmas season. And, uh, but it's interesting, the Bible, from the Old Testament anyways, constantly points to a coming Messiah. And there's a lot of evidence that points to the historical man named Jesus. Now whether you believe Jesus was the Messiah or not, there's plenty of evidence extra-biblical evidence outside of the Bible that suggests that, yes, there was a man named Jesus who stirred up a lot of trouble during the time uh, that fits with our Jesus. Um, There are some Roman historians who make mention of the resurrection, not saying that they believed in it, but this is when Jesus supposedly arose from the dead. So all of those events... That, that occurred in the life of Christ, historically there is evidence for those events outside of just the Bible. Okay, a lot of times people will tell you, it's just the Bible, it's one person's interpretation. And I'm not talking about the Bible. I'm talking about like archaeologists, scientists. I mean, how do we know... George Washington ever existed. I don't think there's anybody who doesn't believe that he actually lived, that he uh, uh, fought in the uh, American Revolution, that he became our first president of the United States, but yet I can't talk to him, I can't see him. I guess I could go to Mount Vernon, I could sneak into the tomb there and lift the lid and see if his bones are in there or whatever, but there's probably not a whole lot left. What evidence do we have? Well, there's tons of of evidence. We're quick to accept that as valid, but sometimes when you you talk about biblical evidence outside of the Bible, people look at it a little fishy. Like, "Eh, I don't know about that. What are you talking about? They found this just like anything else. Just in the last week, they, uh, well, I would say the last year or so, in Jerusalem, they they dug up a, uh, a tiny little pebble with a little mark on it that was it was a little weight that they would use to measure out the appropriate amount of tax that the, the Jewish people would pay when they visited the temple. It's spoken of in the New Testament, lots of little stories. But they've never been able to find hardly any of these things. And so sure enough, they, they're digging out the drain ditch right in front of the western wall, and somebody dug up a tiny little pebble with this mark put into it, and it's just one more piece of historical evidence that so many of the things that we think about and read about in the Bible, that those things were true. They actually happened. These were real people. And despite the fact that so many people want to say, these people aren't real, they never lived, these are stories. They're, they're like, you know, Goldilocks and the Three Bears. They got a point to them, but... The truth is, many of these people, yes, they actually existed. And this goes beyond simply through a matter of faith. Faith is believing in things that are hoped for. Things of which you don't have much evidence for. Well, there's plenty of evidence to suggest that many of the things of the Bible actually happened, were actually true. When I was a kid, I always wondered what that word Messiah meant. 
I was a real little kid, a Messiah. Jesus is a Messiah. What's a Messiah? I remember asking my grandma that, you know, what's a, what's a Messiah? And she would always say, oh, it's, it's the Lord Jesus. He's coming, you know. And so very quickly, I equated the word Messiah with, with Jesus, but I never really understood what it, what it meant. And I come to find out later that the word Messiah is a, it's a, it's a sort of a word based off of a, a term that we call the anointed one, uh, the one to come, the one in charge. In Greek, the anointed one, that phrase is called, what do, you, what do you think? Jesus, the anointed one. Jesus Christ. Christ. The word Christ is a Greek word that means the anointed one. And that's really taken out of, of the Old Testament. And that term took its meaning from the Jewish practice of anointing their priests and their kings. You know, a new priest would come in, a new king, they'd have a big thing, they'd anoint him, a public display, this is the guy, we should follow him, he's in charge. But that term was applied in a special sense to the future ruler who would be sent by God to sit on the throne of David forever. He is the one that God distinctly identified many years ahead of his arrival on earth. The book of Acts, it says, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Christ, the Messiah, would suffer. Likewise, in 1 Peter, the Old Testament prophets, uh, Peter references them. um, It it says the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would, would follow. In other words, this Messiah who was to come, This was not a secret that was just talked about among the religious elite. Everybody knew about it. All of the Jewish believers, they was sort of raised in that. The Messiah is coming. The Messiah is coming. We need to look for this Messiah. And God gave plenty of evidence uh, throughout history that points to the arrival of this Messiah, which is important for us at Christmas time. You know, we look at Christmas and uh, the baby Jesus. You know, what does the baby Jesus really mean? Well, I have a confession. At the risk of having my man card revoked, I, uh, I have a guilty pleasure. I, I like to watch Hallmark movies with, with my wife. <laughs> now, I'm always like, I hate these movies. I'm not going to watch this. What's he doing? You know, and we'll start watching, and who's that guy? And... You know, every, every Hallmark Channel movie is the same thing. You know, the, the urban young executive who's lost in life goes and meets some handyman or some nobody in a little village and they fall in love and that's, that's the, the show, you know. But I don't know, it just, it's just fun to watch. But even in those, there's so many of these holiday movies. There's, re- there's no reference to the true meaning of, of Christmas. There was one we watched last night. It was another same movie, just different actors. At the end, they all, they all fell in love. The little kids found out this woman had been watching them. She turned out to be their grandma. And, and almost as an aside, at the end of the movie, the lady goes, I really think we should take a moment and really think about the star. And it just like out of nowhere. And then the ending shot was 
you know, they pan up from the house to the sky, and there's this one star twinkling, and, oh, that's interesting. But if you didn't know anything about Christianity or who Jesus was, that wouldn't have made any sense. And you're like, oh, wow, a blinking star. That's neat. What does that have to do with anything? Well, the significance of that star had been proclaimed over and over again many years before Jesus ever uh, stepped foot on this earth. In fact, we go all the way back to the book of Genesis. And I want to read out of Genesis chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, I know page Bibles are they're a, they're in, they're at risk of becoming extinct. Uh, I'm as techie as they come. I saw Karen up here reading her Bible from her iPhone. That's pretty cool, i got to admit. But there's something about... Uh, Ah, the, here are the pages. Yeah, I love that. Anyways, Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve have just screwed up, royal. They've been in the Garden of Eden. God said, don't eat from that tree. And what did they do? They ate from it. And so now they're trying to sneak around, you know, trying not to let God find them. And, and uh, you know, let's pick up here at verse 8. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden of the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called in the man and said, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself. And he said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Now, I don't believe for a second they caught God off guard here. I believe God knew this was going to happen. It was just part of, you know, when he created man, this was part of the thing. And the man said, the, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the tree, gave me from the tree, and I ate. And the Lord said to the woman, what is it you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. Well, we have a problem here. We're in the Garden of Eden. God has created a perfect creation. And now sin has entered into that creation. Now, sometimes it's easy for us as people to forget just how big of a deal sin is to God. God is a holy, righteous being. Sin is totally antithetical to God. And now here in his creation, sin has risen up. And so God is going to do something about that. He will not allow sin to become part of the, 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 the end game. Verse 14, the Lord said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle, and more than every beast of the field on your belly you will go, and the dust you will eat all the days of your life. Now, traditionally, the serpent is Satan, who has deceived these people, and now God is like, mm-hmm, you know, when I kicked you out of heaven, I, this day was coming. Don't think you've caught me off guard here. So Satan gets busted. But then God goes on in verse 15, and I will put enmity between you and the woman 
and between your seed and her seed. In other words, there's going to be an issue here between all the people who come from this woman, Eve, that's all of us, and somebody who, between Satan, okay? So you've got Satan on one side, you've got all of us on the other hand, okay? Satan continually and his, his whole existence has been to detract us from the, the work of God, to take our eyes off of God, to steal, kill, and destroy, to deceive. And he has not stopped doing that and will continue to do that. But it goes on in verse 15. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. What are they talking about? Bruising heads and heels and... Well, what he's referring to here is that somebody is going to come along from the woman. In other words, a person, a human being, will be born and come into this world who will crush the head of Satan. So right from the beginning, right there in the Garden of Eden, with sin, God is saying, look... A guy will come on the scene, eventually, Satan, who will crush you. Oh, sure, you'll nip at him and bite him on the heel and cause him trouble. But ultimately, he's going to put his foot on you and smush you out. And then he goes on and talks about some of the other things. But the point is, even here at the beginning... God has already looked forward into the future and said, somebody's going to come who's going to take care of you, who's going to take care of sin, who's going to take care of this problem once and for all. So right from the very, very beginning, God had a plan that included a Messiah. Let's turn to Micah chapter 5. I'm getting my money's worth out of this Old Testament class I took, so... Now, if you're a new Christian or you've just got your first Bible and Micah is towards the end of the Old Testament, you can flip all the way to the, kind of in the middle there, and you go back a couple of books to Micah, chapter 5, and here's an interesting uh, prophecy. Micah was a prophet, and he went around telling people things about God. And this was oh, probably, I'm guessing, four or five hundred years before Christ. And in Micah chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, I want to read through this. Now muster yourselves in troops, daughter of troops. This won't make a whole lot of sense to us, but, but bear with me here. Muster yourselves in troops, daughter of troops. They have laid siege against us. With a rod they will smite the judge of Israel on the cheek. But as for you, Bethlehem, that ring a bell? Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. In other words, God is saying right here, there's somebody who's going to come who will be my ruler over all Israel, over my house, 
over all of God's people. And his goings forth are from long ago. This was predicted long ago. This is nothing new. But I want to remind you that a Messiah is coming. Verse 3, Therefore he will give them up until the time when she who is in labor has born a child, then the remainder of his brethren will return to the sons of Israel. What is he talking about? Well, if chapter 5, verse 2 refers to the first advent, the first coming of Christ. Verse 3 is talking about this intervening time of when Christ um, was uh, resurrected until some other future time. That's, this is kind of where we're sitting at right now in verse 3, current history. Therefore he will give them up Who's them? Well, Israel. Israel has continually denied Jesus, the, the, the reality of Christ. So God's going to give them up until the time when, like a baby is born, when it's in its due time, then these people will all come back to, to God. Verse 4, and he will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will remain, because at that time he will be great to the ends of the earth. Verse 4 is referring to the second advent of Christ, the second coming of Christ. And one of the things I want you to get today, if you get nothing else, as we think about Christmas and we begin to prepare for Christmas, just as sure as God predicted that a Messiah would come, and a Messiah did come, the story doesn't end there. To take in the full meaning of, of Christmas, we have to look to the end, the end game. That's verse 4, in the future. The story of the Messiah is not yet complete. The Messiah has come. Verse 3. But he will come again. Verse 4. Only this time when he comes, he won't come as a little baby, helpless and weak. When he comes again, it'll be as a conquering king. Anyways, the prophecies of the Messiah were not a bunch of scattered predictions randomly placed throughout the Old Testament, but you take them all together, and there are hundreds of them. They form a unified promise, a plan of God. They're all interrelated. And they're all connected in one big plan. You know, some insist the Messiah who Christians revere is not the same one that Jewish people look forward to. And I talked about that. And I remember talking about the, uh, uh, my, the rabbi who taught my class. And he explained to me the, the Jewish point of view. Evangelicals believe the Messiah has two comings. One at Christmas and one at his second coming. We Jews believe he will only come once, at a time of peace on earth, just as the prophet Zechariah declared in the book of, of Zechariah chapter 12. And since we're still in a period of war and strife and fighting, the Messiah hasn't come yet. So I said, okay, let's, uh, let's look at Zechariah. So if you have your Bibles again, Zechariah chapter 12, and I promise you we won't get bogged down here, I know, in, in uh, a spiritual sense, sometimes the word is referred to as food, 
Some Christians are baby Christians. You need milk. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the you know that's not in the Bible, <laughs> the book of uh, But for others, you you want a nice thick juicy steak <laughs> to eat. Well, that's kind of where we're going here. So hang in there with me, and um, look at Zechariah. Where are you, Zechariah? There you are. Nope, that ain't Zechariah. That's Daniel. Well, anyway, Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. There's a, a reference in there to the crucifixion. Okay, here it is. Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. And I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication, so that they will look on me whom they have pierced. And they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son, and they will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping over a firstborn. This is some hard teaching here. But hang in there with me. Verse 10 is talking about the fact that in the future, a day of redemption will come for the people of Israel. And that day will come when they turn back to the Lord. When they look back at God and say, oh, Jesus was the Messiah. On that day, God will give them a spirit of grace and supplication so that they will look on me, or in reference to the Christ, to Jesus, whom they have pierced. What happened at Christ at Easter? Well, they gave him a walk in papers and he just exited. He went to the cross. The Bible says he was wounded. He was pierced for our transgressions. Verse 10, They will look upon him whom they have pierced, talking about Jesus, and they will mourn for him. Oh, Lord, what have we done? Our Messiah who has come, we didn't believe it. Our forefathers had you, you murdered. Even though I don't believe it was murder, Jesus willingly went. He knew what was going on. Anyways, they'll look at him and they will mourn for him as one weeps for an only son. There's a day coming... You know, when I, and as I pointed out to my Jewish rabbi friend, you know, what about this, this Messiah? What does it say there in Zechariah 12.10? He says, they look on me whom they have pierced. I said, who are they talking about? And my friend said, the coming Messiah. I said, yes, it says, they will look on me, the one they have pierced. Now, how did he get pierced? He didn't have an answer for that. Well, I don't know, something's going to happen where he's going to get pierced or something and, and I said I have an idea it was at Calvary and that right there we ended the discussion that's sort of the, the impasse you can't get past that so but I really believe that the Bible is saying that on a future day of his second coming and Jesus is coming again Jews and Gentiles will personally see the one who was pierced for the sins of the world in other words that future day will not be the first time that they've seen him. So even the Old Testament, it turns out, anticipated two comings of the Messiah. One at his birth, and another when he comes as a triumphant king at his second coming. 
You think about it, what would, uh, what would this world look like without a Messiah? I mean, I often, kids will come to me sometimes at school and it, they'll come to me with some of the, the craziest things. I had a kid the other day, just a couple weeks ago. She is a, uh, she's into self-harm, if you know what that is. So we call her a cutter. It's a crude term for it, but she had been cutting. Her friend tipped me off to it, and I saw a, uh, uh, she had some scratches on her leg. She kept trying to hide it. And so one, I just kind of said, oh, you want to tell me about that? Because I'm a, her coach, too, in track. And she's just kind of like, oh, the jig is up. And she just sort of, okay, and let it out, and, and this is what happened. And, you know, and I listen to that, and, and I think about, and I'm like, you know, if you ever need any help, let me know. I'm always here for you. There are a lot of people, you know, you know that, that care about you. We want to help you. And at the same time, I'm thinking in my head, I can't even save myself. How can I say, how can I help you? Although that's what I do. It's what I try to do. That's what any of you would do. I look forward to this idea of a Messiah because I know deep in my heart I can't save myself. I screwed up too much. Too many things I've done, too many dumb things, uh, decisions that just blow up in my... I can't even save myself. Thank you, God, that there's a Messiah. And that he came once. And that he came and he lived and he died for my sins to take care of that. But that's not the end of the story. If that was the end, what would we have to look forward to? Sure, I'm looking forward to the kingdom of God. But there's a lot more to the story, to the Christmas story, than just a little baby came, he lived and he died, and now, now we get to go to the kingdom. One more, uh, one more plunge into the Old Testament, I promise you, and we'll be done here for today. Daniel chapter 9. Again, uh, if the Bible is spiritual food, we're not taking in baby's milk here. We're, uh, you know, we're cutting into a thick old steak here. You know, maybe a little grilled broccoli on the side, baked potato. It's getting to be lunchtime, I think. We're all getting hungry here. So, anyways, we're diving in here to some uh, some of the deep things of the of the word, but yet something God very plainly speaks of. One more example that God predicted or not predicted, God promised that a Messiah would come. Not just once, but twice. Daniel chapter 9, verse 20 through 27. Now people who love to preach on prophecy, and I'm not really one of those, I find that stuff to be interesting, but I, I don't preach on it because very rarely does anybody get saved. It doesn't really help anybody in their daily life. Uh, but I do think it's important that we take into consideration that, yes, Jesus is coming again. And that should have an impact upon your life. And I want to show you how history and the Bible kind of converge here, and if you will, as, as sort of evidence for all you doubting Thomases out there of the way things work. Now this is a tricky, tricky portion of Scripture here. Daniel chapter 9, verse 20 through 27. Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people in your holy city 
to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy and anoint the most holy place. Wow. So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah, the prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be built again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. This is a prophecy saying the temple of, of David, Solomon's temple that he built, it got knocked down by the, um, well, had been destroyed, and it would be rebuilt. Okay? And it was. And the Jews were proud of it. This is a beautiful, you know, wonderful place. Then after 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing, and the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. Now, here's the tricky part, because there's like a, this is like a, a uh, it's like a word puzzle. Seventy weeks. That's a lot of a lot of weeks here. These are weeks. Every day of the week is a a year. Okay, so a one week would be seven years worth of time. See what I'm getting at? So seventy weeks would be seventy uh, times seven, four hundred and ninety years total. That, that would be the, the complete time, okay? So we've got to do a little math. Now, I come from Graham. Our math scores are a little low these days, but we're, we're working on it. But I can still multiply, okay? Uh, so what, what they're saying here, if you look at verse uh, 24 and 25, 70 weeks have been decreed for your people. Basically, he's saying, look, from here to the end, there, there's 70 weeks, I'm going to give you the first uh, 69 weeks, and I'm going to leave that last week a mystery. You don't know when it's coming, but I'll give you the other ones. And if you look in here, it talks about uh, verse 25, uh, rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah comes, seven weeks, 62 weeks. It'll be built again. Then after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off. If you take the time from when Daniel wrote this, which is approximately 500 years or so before Christ, okay, uh, if you, you kind of do a little bit of math and you jump ahead from when this prophecy was made, that's a, you know, around roughly 500 some years ahead. That puts you smack dab at about A.D. 25, 26, 27. Now, if you know anything about historical biblic, uh, uh, historical Bible sense, who came along in about A.D. 26, 27? Jesus. Whether you believe he's the Messiah or not, there are historical records that put this man at that time. So here we have almost 500 years in advance, God saying, hey, look, 500 years from now, this Messiah is going to come on the scene. And then after the 62 weeks, verse 26, the Messiah will be cut off. That's in reference to the Messiah. He will come. He'll save the people from their sins, but he'll be killed. And he'll go away. He'll have nothing. 
And then it'll go on and go on, and it talks about in, in the intervening time, you know, a lot of bad things are going to happen. They're going to destroy the city, which they did. Jerusalem was sacked by the Romans. The temple was torn down. Well, that takes us to 69 weeks. There's one week left. What about this one week? Verse 27, and he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. Seven years. But in the middle of the week, he'll put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering, and on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate even until a complete destruction. One that is decreed is poured out on the one who makes desolate. They're referring to a future time. A future seven-year time. Well, things will be going along pretty well until in the middle, three and a half years into that time, this person will rise up and become an abomination and do things, unleash evil on the earth that you've never seen before. That missing one week, I believe, and you can have a different interpretation, but that missing one week, that's that future seven-year period we call the tribulation. And here at the middle of the week, three and a half years in, that'll begin this time of great tribulation upon the earth. Now why do I bring that up in the middle of a Christmas thing? Because I want you to look forward and see the fact that Jesus didn't come just once. That's not the, the end of the story. That'd be like watching yesterday's football game and getting to halftime and turning it off. Oh, we're up two points, click. Man, you, you missed a lot. If you miss what the Bible says about Jesus and you stop at his birth, you're missing a lot. You're missing the rest of the story. If we celebrate the Christmas season and forget about the second coming, you're only getting half the story. Because it, yesterday it was the second half that made the whole game count. That's the point that really mattered. If all you took in was the first half, well, that wasn't much. You missed the big stuff. My hope is that as we get into the Christmas season, and we think about Jesus and his coming, whether you think of Jesus as a little baby, or he's coming as the Messiah, however you choose to see Jesus, that was his first coming. That was foretold many years in advance, and it happened. But the Bible also looks ahead to the future. It says that same baby Jesus, he's coming back again for part two. Now, I don't want to get into all the, when is he coming? Before these, this last week, middle, post, mid-trib. What I want you to think about as we go into this Christmas season is that your Messiah, who came once for you, who lived his life for you and died for you, he is coming again because he's not done. Why do we so easily accept the things that happened before? It's almost as if it was some kind of a story. But yet we look to the future. And so many people have a hard time grasping it or thinking about it or wondering about it.
I asked my grandma once before she died. This was a long time ago. And grandma was a Baptist. She's not Church of God. Or, all right. I said, what are you looking forward to, Grandma? Oh, I'm looking forward to the coming of the Lord, the second coming of Jesus. So I get caught up into the sky. And I said, well, what about heaven? Aren't you looking forward to heaven? And she goes, I'm looking forward to Jesus coming. That's what I think about. That's what I worry about. I'm not thinking about the afterlife and what it's going to be like. Because the whole point of Christianity is it's not a religion, it's a relationship. The one who saved you, he's coming back again for you. And so as we look forward in this Christmas time, not only did Jesus come once, but he's coming again. That same Jesus that we celebrate. So when you're watching a Hallmark movie, and at the end they always pan up into the sky and they see that little twinkling star up there, stop for a minute and think what that really signifies. It's not just the coming, the first coming of Jesus. That little star still points to his second coming. The Jesus that I believe in, the one that I believed saved me because I couldn't save myself, He's coming back. And I want to keep my eyes open for his second coming. That's what I look forward to. I talked about it last week. I'm thankful for life. I enjoy life. I want you to enjoy your life and not feel bad if you're in a spot in your life where you're good, where it feels good to be alive. But I'm looking forward to the second coming. I'm looking forward to not seeing a helpless baby, but a powerful, conquering king who comes back for me because he loves me, because God so loved the world he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would never perish but have eternal life. That's a promise you can take to the bank. You can take that promise with you on Black Friday. Nobody can take it away from you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for all these people here. Man, we really got into some deep, deep stuff today. And Lord, I pray that those who are able could hear this and that they would think about this, this Christmas time as not just that Jesus came once, but he's coming again. And help that to be our focus as we look forward into the future with our lives, with this church, with this community. Help us always to keep a remembrance that Jesus is not just somewhere. He's with you, and you're going to send him back to us. Help us look forward to that day with love and thankfulness. In Jesus' name, we give you honor and thanks today. Amen.